Blog Talk Radio. It's January 8th, 2017. Hello and welcome to Working for a Living radio show where progressives for change present opinions that matter. Tonight we're joined by co-hosts Jeff Brown and Dave Fillion. I'm your moderator, Leroy McKnight. We certainly hope everyone stayed safe and had a wonderful holiday season. And we extend everyone a happy and prosperous new year. Let's get to our announcements. Uh, the first one is uh, Honeywell remains locked out. Uh, Local Union 9 uh, uh, down in uh, uh, South Bend, uh, Indiana. And uh, we support them fully. We ask that everybody take a second. Uh, look at some of the posts that are out there, find their address, go on the UAW site, find their address. Local Union 9 and Local Union 1508 have been locked out since May of 2016 and deserve a little support financially from everybody that's listening. I'm telling you, really take a, take a moment and get in there and uh, uh, support these folks. It's, it's, it's a tough time for them, and we hope that... Uh, uh, you are able to do that. That's part of that first announcement. So second announcement, uh, it, uh, it appears that the coal miners are under serious attack and will be losing their pensions and health care benefits. Uh, more on, later on that from Jeff. Uh, there is a new legal services phone number. That is 800-482-7700. You saw that here first late in the uh, year of 2016. Between the holidays, we were able to uh, get that out to you, so we're happy to uh, be on the leading edge when things come out, too. Uh, thank you to those that uh, were forthcoming with that. Appreciate that help. Uh, the fourth announcement, the Michigan Appellate Court has overturned a lower court ruling and has ruled against the American Federation of Teachers as they wrote language in their contract that got around the Michigan right to work law, first approved by the local circuit courts, has now uh, been overturned by a ruling by the appellate court. Expect more on this as that moves its way up the court structure. Uh, they, so you know, the American Federation of Teachers were very creative before the law was actually passed and went in and... Uh, wrote uh, in their agreement, signed and agreed to by management, that uh, they would uh, circumvent the uh, obviously coming in right to work law. And that's uh, usually something that the courts are hands off on. So that's uh, been overturned and is now uh, ruling against the unions. This local circuit court was uh, favorable for them. So keep that in mind as you think about how the judges uh, uh, are. Uh, so. Uh, with that in mind. So um, the uh, Public Review Board uh, has ruled on the ethical practices appeal uh, at Local Union 600 by Art Peterson. They have denied the appeal. More on that later in the show. We expect Art to be a special guest later. Um, we appreciate all that you've done on, on that, Art. We really appreciate that. Uh, number six, the PRB has also ruled on the improper voting regarding uh, the pension plan matters and has denied that as well. We'll have a little more on that later in the show as that unfolds. So uh, getting to email, 
uh, we had a number of emails expressing Happy New Year and uh, thanking team working for a living, uh, uh, you know, uh, for everything we do and uh, hoping we have a prosperous New Year. And certainly take a second out to uh, thank all of you for those emails and wishing you, as well as the rest of the listeners, a happy and prosperous New Year in 2017. Uh, we did receive a Facebook comment of thanks uh, and support for our donations to Local Union 9, and uh, uh, implicit in that is Local Union 1508. Uh, and we hope to lead by example and thus encourage others, uh, many others, to send in uh, their support as well as some cash. You just heard me say it. Uh, you certainly, they surely, they surely need it in this time of distress down there in uh, South Bend, Indiana. Indiana. Uh, so give give that a thought. Uh, we're not here soliciting a lot of money from you, but when we have brothers and sisters in distress uh, for long periods of time, it's time to get up off the wallet and and send them a little bit of something. Uh, you know, we know you know times aren't always the best for everybody, but if you got a little extra, uh, give them some thought and get that down here. So. Uh, next up is uh, This Week in Worker News, and of course it's three weeks uh, since our last show, so we're going to give you some of that as well. Um, I see the switchboard's filling up. Uh, we'll get to you in just a second. Uh, those of you uh, that uh, we recognize here, and we'll have you uh, in, the, in the mix as soon as we can get you in here. And we do have some special guests tonight, and we're going to have them on uh, one at a time. Well, couple of them at the same time, but one of them later in the show. So, um, The uh, uh, quotes that we seem to be most poignant from last year, we'll just go over those and sort of summarize them. Uh, the uh, two quotes uh, uh, that we had that really got a lot of play, uh, one was, talk is cheap and whiskey costs money. So whenever you're doing something, you can talk about it all day long, but it does take money to get it done. Uh, and the other one is uh, you can't win the Kentucky Derby with a plow horse. In other words, you have to be prepared uh, and uh, able to win a race in the Kentucky Derby uh, or anything like that if you're at that level. Uh, so uh, having said that, uh, let me bring on our uh, guests here, uh, or I'm sorry, our co-host, uh, Jeff Brown. Uh, and there's so many here in the switchboard. We really lit up tonight. I'll tell you, everybody's been waiting to hear this show. So, uh, our New Year's show. So, thank, thanks a lot, everybody. Uh, we appreciate that. Let me get, let me start off with getting Jeff in here. Uh, so, Jeff, there you are. Hi, Hi Jeff. Hi, Leroy. Hi, yeah, hey, how are you doing? Good. I'm good. Doing pretty good. Cool. That's good. Let's get David on. David, you there? Yeah. Yeah. How you doing, Larry? Jeff. Good. Good. Hey, David. Yeah, Jeff's here. Uh, you, you guys have a good holiday. I'll let you talk for a second. I'm gonna be. I'll be a minute. Yeah. Go ahead and update Happy everybody year, on, on your holidays, there. Yeah. My holiday was too short, but I say I'm that bad. every time. <laughs> Yeah, when you're not retired, you have to look forward to going back to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, for, exactly. Fortunately, you have uh, fixed dock heaters, although that doesn't help at the beginning of the truck. Uh, right. It's pretty cold inside them trailers. Yes, yes it is. And it, the 
plant decided to repair that patch of the wall that caught on fire um, back in July, and they had that whole wall opened up one night, and I literally froze. Um, I remember that. Yeah. So, so they're just they getting around to repairing that. Mhm. Mhm. Yep. Well, that was a very nice. They waited till the middle of the freezing cold to do yeah. it. Yeah. That's what we were all saying. You know, they had all this other time to do it. But um, my interview yesterday went pretty well with the uh, French reporter. Um, Good to hear. We conducted a videotape interview in front of the plant in the cold weather. Uh, they were asking questions about auto workers and how they feel about uh, NAFTA, um, the incoming president-elect. And they also asked me a question about um, our UAW president, Mr. Williams. And I told him that Mr. Williams is out of touch. And I mentioned the fact that he did not know that the focus was going to Mexico. He made that a public statement in a local paper here in Detroit. And they were really surprised that he didn't know. And we proved to him that he was wrong. We also talked about um, where our president-elect took credit for saving the uh, Kentucky plant from going to Mexico. And I explained to him that those two plants, neither one of them was closing and going to Mexico. So our president-elect made a false claim. Um, they are asking questions about the hybrid cars coming into our plant and what we thought about them. And I told him, you know, we really don't think that the hybrid Mustang is going to sell out our units. Um, just because of its legendary status with the Mustang clubs all throughout the country. Um, what else did we talk about? We talked about um, the workers. We need we need to um, we need to get new new hires a pension, and that's what our goal is going to be at the next convention. And I did bring up our caucus that we are going to be running against the international. Um, so it was, it was very cold. Um, the, the we had a reporter um, videotape, I taking the videotape, and a photographer there. Um, both the video man and the photographer is going to go to the inauguration. They have that already set up. And those of you who don't know, they are in town. Um, the international press is for the Detroit Auto Show. We get a lot of lot of them out there. Usually, we few of us stand outside and protest outside the Cobo Hall during International Press Day. And at times, we get to come over and ask us questions. Um, we want everybody mm. to get. Uh, we have an N2 here. 
We want pensions for the new hires, and that's our goal. So that that went pretty well, did it, Jeff? Yeah, it went real well. I was happy. Um, They learned a lot. Their eyes got real big when I mentioned that our show covers a lot of things. They were really surprised that I knew about the labor unrest in France during the fall. Their eyes got real big, real big, like, how do you know that? Uh, I told them I researched a lot of things, but uh, they were surprised I knew about the unrest in, in France. So it went, it went very well, real well. Okay, good. Good. I'm glad it did. Uh, we we do have some guests. Uh, if that's all right, uh, I'll bring I'll start to bring them on so they can tell us the up uh, the this uh, situation uh, down at Local Union Nine and update us and ask us uh, uh, and and the listeners for any uh, thing that they'd care to ask them for. Uh, let me bring on first of all uh, Todd Treader, Vice President, Acting President of UAW Local Nine. Uh, that works at the uh, Honeywell facility. Todd, nice to have you on the show right now. Welcome. Well, thanks, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Uh, let me bring on your uh, other associate from your uh, executive board. This is Recording Secretary Ryan Rogers. Ryan, welcome to the show, Work, working for a living radio show here. Hello. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Good. Good. We're, we're happy to have you, brother. We're very happy to have you, and we're happy to support you here uh, in the Facebook and social media all around that we uh, have uh, a presence on and with our donations to you as well and to Local 1508. Uh, I believe you saw those as uh, you got around the Internet a little bit. So we support you uh, a great amount from uh, the on-air team here at Working for a Living and the off-air team as well. So. Uh, uh, who wants to go first? Dodd, you want to take the lead and just start telling us, uh, update us, well, educate the members first or the listeners first, and then uh, tell us uh, the status. And then if you guys want to uh, go ahead and uh, uh, make some uh, solicitations, feel free. Dodd? Yeah, um, I, I guess I'll start uh, all the way back in, in April. Um Leading up to our negotiations, our contract ended on May 6th, and uh, prior to that, Honeywell had brought in um, a company called Strom Engineering to shadow our workers on the floor and uh, basically learn our jobs for for what they call the contingency plan in case we went on strike. Um, they followed us around. Oh boy, I don't I, a month and a half probably, Brian. I'm thinking that's about right. Um, yeah, about six weeks. They, um, they uh, they gave us three weeks to negotiate a contract. Is all they gave us. Um, mm-hmm. The contract was brought to us, and we voted on it on um, May seventh, or or yes, May seventh, a Saturday. Um, it was voted down by ninety percent. Um, we told uh, told Honeywell we'd continue to work while we negotiated, and um, from my understanding, what I've seen and read, they they agreed to that. So we worked the whole weekend. Um, Monday morning, which was May 9th, 
Um, people were showing up at work, and about 10 to 6, they escorted everybody out of the plant and locked the doors and told us we were trespassing. So they locked us out. Um, you want to take oh. over, Brian? Well, let um, me ask sure. you a question, Todd. How did how did the people, you know, having somebody stand behind you, shadowing you on on your job, how did the people feel about that when that was going on? Well, it, it, um, it upset a lot of people, and I actually think, it made our, our local a lot stronger. I mean, leading up to that point, I mean, we were we were a good union, but it just really solidified, uh, uh, you know, solidified everybody together. And, you know, we questioned questioned our, our leaders in that, um, on that on if it was allowable, and they said they could, right. you know, if they wanted to, and then they actually, actually tried, did videotape some of us, but they had to ask permission. But, I mean, we raised concerns. They still followed us, um, and but it, it made us definitely a lot stronger, and I think it was evident by the 90% no vote. Good, good. Brian, Brian, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I wanted to get some feeling for what people felt. Do you have a, any thought about that yourself? Oh, oh yeah, it was def- definitely an intimidation factor. Uh, you know, I'm a machinist there, and uh, to have you know somebody standing a few feet away, kind of standing there watching what you're doing all day, trying knowing that if something were to happen, they're, they're supposed to step in. Yeah, it's, it's definitely intimidating, and um, that's just part of their tactic. And, and this is and, just and a, guys, a few years after. This, this is just a few years after um, Honeywell did this to Metropolis, Illinois. So you know, we, we kind of saw the writing on the wall, but really couldn't believe that it, it would be uh, it would happen to us. Happened to you, right? Yeah. And yeah, so these people were actually standing behind you. You knew they were about to take over on your job. And, I mean, it just almost, you know, you're, you really got to have a lot of restraint just not to knock them on their ass, don't you? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, it, it takes quite, quite, a bit of, I mean, quite a bit of restraint yeah, not, to, uh, so. to handle the situation. Yeah, and our and our members actually did, did very well with not retaliating or anything like that out on the floor or causing issue on the floor. So, and, and leading up to them locking us out, we were producing record number of parts, too. High quality too, right? Yes, yes, and quality definitely. Yeah. So, uh, so then what happened? I mean, that's that's what led up to the lockout, and you said that they locked you out. But uh, what do you think the reason for them locking you out was? I mean, you know now for sure what their demands are. So, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit, the two of you? Go ahead, Brian. uh, Yeah, it's just a a new corporate way of uh, economic sabotage to the worker. Um, Now, now instead of us trying to, you know, work out a contract while we're working and we have a little money in our pocket and we have something to stand on, uh, we're, you know, fighting with, you know, it it makes the struggle much more difficult for us. You know, it makes people look much more desperate and the company knows exactly that that's the case. They, they use this leverage in every, every way they can. And they have a lot deeper pockets than most of us do. Right, right. So yeah. your demands yeah, were. Do you have it? Go ahead. Do you want one of you want to uh, be more specific on why, and what they came well, in well, with? Yeah, but, like, like Brian said, um, you know, they're, they're basically they want to starve you out is what they want to do, and they know by locking you out, they can still get probably not a hundred percent of the parts out that they need to get out, but they can still get parts out the door with, with temporary workers, and 
you know, it just kind of leaves us hanging out there going, okay, how long can we hold out before our money runs out? Um, and that's what they want us to do. They want us to run out of money and, and take their offer. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like the company's not making making tons of money. Um, so, you know, it'd be a little different if they said, hey, we're not making money, we're almost going to go bankrupt, you know, bankrupt or something like that. But they're they're making their their stocks have went up in since what, 2007 or 2011 doubled. So their stock prices are up, their their profit margin is up. So they just want to be able to control their workforce and have them do whatever they want us to do um, without regard to lines of demarcation, seniority, um, issues like that. Okay. So those they they if you're a skilled tradesperson, your job would be in jeopardy because they want a, a production or non-skilled worker to do those things that they think a production worker can do then. Is that what they're trying to do? Well, yeah, yeah. skilled trades, um, they want to be able to say, I'm a plant fitter, actually. Um, so if I don't have okay. much work to do for today, they might be able to put me over doing some millwright work. Um, of course, mm-hmm. we questioned it and said that's not what they're going to use it for, but, you know, you, you know, they brought Strom in and said, you know, that was a contingency plan too. So, I mean, we've got to look mm-hmm. at every avenue that, you know, for what kind of language they're pushing across to us and, you know, and how they could use it against us. Correct. Once it's in black letter print, you know, it's kind of hard to refute. And once it's in there, it's hard to reverse as well. Yes, it is. Correct. Yeah. Okay, Brian. Even do you have the, uh, uh, any anything you'd like to? Add? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah. Even some of the uh, uh, letters of understanding and whatnot we had in our past contract. They just wanted to remove that stuff. You know, stuff that those kind of documents explain uh, what the wording means. And you know, Honeywell doesn't want to use that. They they, they want to have the confusion. They want to have that flexibility to not really, you know, whatever works in their best interest, basically. Mm-hmm. We had 60 years of language that they yeah. just kind of threw out the door, and we just had to yeah. kind of start from scratch. Yeah, I, I just then, want to interject just a second, just sure. one second. I want the listeners to understand that these lockouts that Honeywell are doing, is doing, to all these... This and the two locals now and previous to other locals, this is coming to plant and contract to you. These are test cases by Strom Engineering, a company that's well-known to try and break unions, brothers and sisters that are listening. Please pay attention to what these men are saying to you. There's a lot of brothers and sisters that... Their lives are at stake over this. This phone call that they've called in here tonight to tell you about their plight is very, very serious, and it's a test case, and it's likely coming to a plant near you real soon if we don't stop it here. I want everybody listening to understand that. So having said yeah. that, fellas, uh, uh, would, you, would you agree, fellas? Oh, you are yeah, absolutely I'll... correct. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely agree on that. Um, it is, there's a lot of companies watching to see what Honeywell can get away with here. Um, and, and actually, right at the moment, I believe starting tomorrow's the 9th, 
if I'm not mistaken. Strong Engineering will be shadowing workers in Minneapolis, Minnesota at uh, Teamsters Local 1145, another Honeywell plant. Um, so it's, you know, they, they did it in our plant. They're following up with Minneapolis, a Honeywell plant, and at the end of this year, it'll be Kansas City, another Honeywell plant. So they've got a textbook, and they're following it, and they're saying, hey, here's what we're going to do. If we don't get our way, we're going to lock you out. And uh, if they get away with it, there definitely will be other corporations following suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. They might have tested so, it in so, Metropolis, yeah, Illinois. Keep going. Uh, I what, what else you got there, Brian? You got something that you'd like to add to, to that yourself? Yes, they, they tested it in Metropolis, kind of improved it here in South Bend, and I, I, we believe that they're going to continue on to the next stop in Minneapolis and then and move onward. It's it, this don't get don't be as naive as we were when we when we saw the writing on the wall. Uh, prepare yeah. and uh, get get together and and it, it could be if, if it's not today it could be tomorrow that it's in your neighborhood. Right. Let me let me interject a little something regarding the legality of this uh, lockout. It's it's well provided for in Canada lockout situations and uh, that's probably where this was born. Uh, in Canada, and here in the United States, the National Labor Relations Act provides for permanent replacements of striking workers. So that's in the law, National Labor Relations Act. There's nothing in the National Labor Relations Act about temporary workers in a lockout situation. Now, that went up into a Supreme Court case, and they addressed everything but the legality of the lockout itself for temporary workers. They had, they had addressed could they uh, do other things, and the Supreme Court ruled that they could. But they did not address the matter of the lockout being legal. So that's still an unresolved issue, even at the Supreme Court level, as far as I can read into it. That's, in, you know, in my opinion... I want to also say that I'm not an attorney, but I'm well experienced in such matters. Uh, so uh, having said that, uh, I, I would call on our fine UAW uh, legal department to get into that a little tighter uh, before this goes on too much longer. Because I think that there's some, there's some uh, real movement that they could get if they really tested the legality of a temporary replacement for a locked-out worker. Uh, I, I just think that that was dreamed up by Strom Engineering, and they just started doing it. And uh, I think that's uh, uh, something that's not been resolved fully at the Supreme Court, according to the, the write-up and the annotated versions of the case itself. Uh, so just know that there's some light at the end of the tunnel in the legal uh, end of this as well, if the current leadership actually takes on something that they ought to be taking on. Of course, we know that they fail a lot of, lot of ways when it comes time to being a real bunch of union leaders down there at Solidarity House. Having said that, I don't want to take up too much uh, of your time here because it's very valuable that you know what I just said and that the listeners know so that they can put pressure on Solid House to take some other avenues to try and help you folks there and stop this thing that's getting legs around the country so um so your your situation 
has been going on there since what May, uh, the end of May, sometime. May, beginning of May, May ninth. May ninth. Okay, and uh, yep. you've been locked out. No money's coming in. You got some unemployment finally yeah. from Pence, who finally once he got elected or looked up, or appointed uh, uh, the heir apparent for vice president. Sometime in July, late July, early August, you got unemployment uh, approved then, right? That's, yeah. that's correct. Okay. So tell me about that. How would that go for you guys? Uh, it was just, right. just another part of the str- struggle we're uh, dealing with, uh, yeah. you know, a Pennsylvania state of Indiana. Uh, they didn't understand what the situation was. They They looked at it as a labor dispute. And, uh, you know, we're, we're basically uh, out of work at no fault of our own. And that's uh, the exact verbiage that the state of Indiana uses for people on unemployment. But we still had to uh, get some legal help uh, down in the Indiana State House and get them to realize what the situation was. It wasn't us walking out. It was the company not allowing us to be there. And it, it took, uh, I think, the beginning of August before unemployment benefits were actually rolling in. So you know, it's about three months. Okay. So, you know, it made it tough for people without any money coming in. Made it hard on you, didn't it? Definitely. So yeah. they had the government there. Try- yeah, they had the government there trying to help help uh, Honeywell and Strom Engineering make a cave, but you stood, stood strong and held out. But it was not easy, was it, brothers? No, no, it wasn't. No, not we, at all. We did have um, the strike assistance. Um, coming in from the international, so we did have some money coming in. Um, okay. But yeah, we, you know, like Brian said, we had to battle, you know, May, June, July, to all the way to the beginning of August um, to get something that was basically owed us. You know, unemployment. We didn't walk off the job; we were walked out. So, um, but it's just just another tactic they use. You know, as we said, you know, they bring Strom in. They didn't get the results they want because we voted it down. So, okay, we're going to lock you out, and now we're going to try withholding money from you to make, you know, basically starve you out, um, make you desperate to, for money so that you vote something in you don't want to vote in because you need the money. I mean, you got to provide for your family. Um, so right. that's basically what they're doing. Right. Tell me, uh, is this just an active worker struggle, or, or are they uh, attempting to attack your retirees as well? Well, the uh, retiree uh, struggle has been a little bit longer than ours. They uh, started messing with their uh, health coverage, uh, I want to say a few years back. They um, Initially, they had uh, agreed to benefits for life, meaning they you know, had health coverage for, their, for the life. But then uh, Honeywell went and decided that life meant the life of the contract. So uh, a lot of members that had worked for many years and retired and, and were expecting to have uh, health co- coverage for, you know, the rest of their life are now being denied or having to pay for it. Um, so it, that's a struggle we've had for, I want to say, going on two and a half years now. And yeah. uh, it's still, okay. still wrapped up in the court system. Okay. I I actually was the uh, intervening plaintiff, the sole intervening plaintiff in the GM, and later uh, they made a joinder for Ford and Chrysler uh, on our own health care called the Viva. We were opposing that back then, so 
we we got some things mitigated, but it's uh, still not a good thing even for us. And healthcare is under attack in a lot of ways. So we we understand that that issue, and we you know really hope that uh, that can get mitigated for your retirees as well to the degree that you can. So, and that's done at the table, as you know, as you, as you know, just as well as what the active stuff is. So, as you guys got to vote on it in the end, you know. So, um, so that's that's sort of what's going on now. From, you know, you got some what thirteen weeks of unemployment. How did is that still going on, or is that term you know been terminated now because the length of the period of time, or how's that going for you? Yeah, it was uh, twenty six weeks. Um, so finally, when the, the unemployment got all settled at the beginning of August, um, we got all the back checks, um, and that okay. actually took us into, I believe, the second week of November. We had unemployment till, so um, we they did they did end up paying it all out after we fought for it and got a lawyer and, and went through legal legal steps to get it mm-hmm. approved for us. Um, Right. And, and we ran out of it. We ran out in uh, November, which is um, when we actually took another vote on the contract. Okay. So you've turned it down. Had, how many? How many times have you turned it down? Uh, we turned it down. Turned it down the initial time, which was in May. Um, then they did not. We met at the table in June and July. The meeting in June was like a 15-minute meeting. They basically laid the same contract down or same offer down. So if you want to come back to work, vote this in. Um, that did not get brought back to us. July they met again, and it was a little longer, um, but they did Honeywell didn't move on anything, and then we didn't meet again until September. Um, we met in September okay. with a little with a little bit of movement. October with a little movement, and then in November, as our members were running out of unemployment. Honeywell decided to make a few moves on the the health insurance um, so we'd take it back to a vote. And, uh, and at that time, with our members who are not on unemployment, we felt it would be in their best interest to have the chance to basically pick their own destiny. Um, right now we're bringing it, we brought it back to them, said, here, here's what, here's what changed, here's what didn't change. We know everybody's running out of unemployment. Um, you guys choose what route we what we're out we're taking. Um, by no means are we giving up the fight. We're, we're we're ready to still fight for you, but you guys control which way we go. So, um, we mm-hmm. took that vote in November and it was voted down by seventy percent in November. Okay, seventy percent. So this wasn't anything close. This is about as much of a uh, a, a, a real. Uh, Message to everybody uh, that your 70% vote is uh, it stands for uh, a lot uh, against right. what's going on. So, okay, all right. So, um, Ryan, do you want to? I mean, uh, let let let's just uh, uh, make sure that we know uh, your 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 uh, your titles at your on your executive board in your local union. I guess we probably shouldn't do that, and then we'll get back to. The current the situation since early November, uh, Brian, you're what recording secretary there? That's correct. At local union nine uh, UAW. Okay, yep. and then for uh, two and a half years now. Okay, well, good. good. Thank you for 
all of your hard work. Understand that's uh, even tougher when you're on strike or you know on lockouts. I shouldn't say that on lockout situation because you have that's the right. same very... situation as you would if you were on on a strike. You got to make sure all the the same paperwork's in and stuff like that. Very time consuming, and of course you've got a lot of lot of demands on your time from the members in distress there. So mm-hmm. understand that. And Todd, do you want to tell us your situ- your your uh, uh, station at the executive board? Yep. Yeah, I, I'm the vice president. Um, I was just elected in the beginning of September, mm-hmm. so so I jumped in right in the middle of the lockout uh, as vice president. Okay, yep. are I you was crazy uh, enough to get you, involved? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's tough, and somebody's got to do it, you know. So yeah, um, we, we appreciate that. Yes, do you have a, a currently have a president? Um. No, we do not. At the moment, I'm just the acting president, and actually, Brian is the acting vice president. So, okay, all right, okay, sounds good. Uh, so, Brian, you you had some more to say about this, uh, the situation since November first. I'm kind of walking the listeners through your whole, uh, uh, you know, a timeline here, if you don't mind. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we. Uh got together, sat down with our members, uh, went through the contract line by line, tried to answer as many questions as best we could, tried to give them a few days to kind of hash it over and read read through it, uh, and then go to a vote on it on Saturday. So uh, it's not that they didn't understand it or didn't have an opportunity to read it. It's they overwhelmingly, again, said no. I believe most of them are in the position that they can say no or, or they're just, you know, uh, can't believe that the company has done this to them. So this is their way of, you know, standing strong. Okay. Uh, so un- unemployed employment's over. They're still voting no on the, the agreement. And you went into a holiday season with no money, much like Con Selmer did over in Elkhart, Indiana, when we had to help them in 07. Uh, so, uh, how, yeah, yeah, I was very instrumental in shaming the then regional director into getting them some money because they really hadn't done anything on the 17th of November for any of the holiday seasons. So, I, uh, in a speech in Peoria, Illinois, uh, uh, raised a little sand and that made the front page, full front page article in the Elkhart News and the Peoria newspapers. So, they uh, they sort of got the message that they need to send out a letter and get some money out uh, from the local unions. And we actually did some things from Lansing, uh, sent down people with money and goods and stuff for those workers. And uh, we expect that you'll see more and more as this gets legs uh, in your support mm-hmm. because we're leading up to that right now. You guys went into the holiday season with no no money coming in. So don't tell us about that. Um, yeah, actually, um, you know, we, we do get the strike assistance. So, um, that's, that's 200 a week for doing our, our duties on the, on the picket line. Um, actually Mm -hmm. the region, the region has been really helpful. Um, there's been, I know I'm going to forget a lot of locals that have helped. Um, I know 2209 has been, you know, did some fundraising, um, and they helped out. I know. Local 551, local five. Um, it's, and I know I'm forgetting a bunch of them. Um, 
but yeah, so it's not, it, you know, the money just hasn't been as plentiful as if we're working, but I mean, we've had enough money that we've actually set up a food pantry out of our hall um, for our members. And that's come, come out a lot of donations out of, out of region 2B. So um, minus the fact that we're not working and getting, you know, our hourly rate, there has been, been some help there, definitely been some help um, from donations and that. And from, like I said, there's, there's numerous locals, and, and I know I'm forgetting a bunch of them, but so it's, it's actually been kind of overwhelming. Um, we never had a food pantry before. Now we've got that. Um, Christmas time, I know local 551, local 5, and, and uh, a gal lady from uh, Evanston, Illinois, Tony Gilpin, um, we had an angel tree, and they took care of all the gifts off the angel tree that was for the kids. So we actually had a little party down at the hall for the kids. They got to come down and, and get a gift. So, um, no, it's been – we've had really, really good support. Yes, at, at times, That's like good. you said, it's been very overwhelming. It's, uh, you feel bad you can't shake hands and thank everybody. But, uh, yes, we've, we've had some great support. Uh, we've worked with uh, our local United Way, who's helped us, uh, taught us how to turn every $1 donated into $2 worth of food. So we're, we're trying to maximize it the best we can. And um, the, the, our pantry's open every other week for our members. They can come down. Um, we had gift cards donated to us, so we, we pass yep. those out. Just trying to support them every way we can. Good. 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 Uh, so... Uh, as we start to wind this down, because we're a little little long, but everybody that's listening de- deserves to know exactly and specifically your plight at your local union right now and what's going on. And it's been prompted by a union busting company by the name of Strom Engineering, and Honeywell is bought in hook, line, and sinker. Uh, so uh, as as you consider anything else you'd like to say, or request from the listeners, please go forward. Todd, why don't you go first and then let, uh, let Brian jump in. Yeah, um, I, I know I know some of the groups I've, I've joined lately, um, working for a living, one of them, uh, people ask what, We're happy to what have can you. they do to help. <laughs> yeah, what, what can they do to help? Uh, I, you know, donations of money is great, but the real thing that, that I would like to see is um, – people contacting their representatives and, and asking their representatives why Honeywell is getting government contracts when they got, got us locked out. They've received uh, yeah. two military contracts this past year, um, and they've got us locked out and they're receiving, receiving money from our government, which is our taxpayer dollars, while they got us locked out. Start start ringing up, mm-hmm. you know, ringing Washington, getting a hold of them, saying, hey, what's going on here? Why are we awarding contracts to companies like this? Okay, let me update you what we uh, have done along those lines on our own. Uh, used to be uh, a fellow by the name of Carl Levin that was a United States senator from Michigan that mm-hmm. was the, uh, at the time, the uh, you're familiar with him, uh, at the time he was the uh, 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 chairman of the Armed Services Commission Committee in the Senate. Uh, that man now, or the person, I shouldn't be sexist about the person that holds that happens to be a man by the name of Senator Jack Reed. Uh, in our call, uh, it was discussed, uh, it might might have been discussed in 
in several calls. Uh, I don't think we actually did it in the open open call with uh, the rest of the team off air and on air uh, working for a living team. And we are going forward to contact Jack Reed and ask him to, to put a little pressure on Boeing, who uh, you know gets all the, the uh, things from you, all of everything that you build there, uh, that supply the planes that Boeing builds. Put pressure on Boeing to resolve this uh, sooner rather than later, rather, you know, because in uh, days gone by, Carl Levin was a very, very good friend when he came to Lansing. I had lunch or breakfast with him every time he showed up here in Lansing. Was I'm past chair of the Democratic Party here for the capital count, the county that the capital sits in. So he always uh, very, very accessible. You can talk to him about these sort of issues, but we don't have that with the Jack Senator Jack Reed. But we are going to go forward, and I encourage everybody to contact him, because I think he, as the ranking Democratic member, uh, of course, contact all of your own respective House representatives, but he more than anybody can probably put a heat on Boeing to get this resolved. So just keep that in mind. Uh, so we're going forward with that, just so you know. All right. Uh, Very good. Thank you. Anything else, Todd? And yeah, you're welcome. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, we we're not half stepping here. Uh, we support you in in every way we possibly can. Uh, Thank and, you. And uh, so, Brian, you're welcome. Uh, Brian, do you have anything else you want to kind of wrap up with, uh, say, or or ask the listeners? Remember, you're able to ask this. You got the floor, so. Ask him what you want, your needs. I mean, Todd covered the call your representative side, but you ask him. Ask him. Um, my, my biggest point is uh, just explaining to people that this is not a strike. Um, but we get that common yeah, misconception all the time. Yeah. I, I know, no, I and it's easy strike. to do. You know, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. We have that all the time. Yeah, and that, that, yeah. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. But, no, I mean, just um, – even our, our friends and neighbors, you know, we they you know, you'll stop you at the store and say, Hey, how's that strike going? Like, no, it's it's not what it is. You know, try to explain right. to them that they we would be working if they would allow us to while we work this out, but they won't. You know, they're they're right. keeping us at a bay like that. So it's just that common misconception that uh, you know, folks driving by, seeing the picket line out there, thinking that we're just a bunch of spoiled union folks that just won't go to work and that's that's not the case. It's you know and and, and I would say the company is using that to their, their advantage, you know, the ignorance of, you know, the situation and because it is a rather newer tactic here in the States. So that, that's just one thing I, I, I try to point out every time I get a chance. Good. It, it is, to be clear, this is a lockout, not a strike. The company has locked these people out and prevented them from going to work, calling them trespassers if they try to go in and, and uh, you know, attend to their uh, job location, their job assignment. So, uh, and if they did, they'd probably call the police and have them arrested. Of course, members at Local Union Nine are good, good, dignified members, and uh, so they're doing everything they're supposed to do as they're asked they're, to do. They're it not afraid now, to call so. the police on us. So, <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Kudos to you two uh, for for all that you're doing. You know. Uh, and to your members who are standing solidly behind you uh, and uh, realize just exactly how important this is. I hope you have the opportunity 
to have your listeners or your members listen to the show uh, because they can do that on podcast later, either here on Blog Talk Radio or iTunes, uh, or you can just go to workingforaliving.com, and uh, we have the podcast. It'll be over there in the right sidebar about halfway down. So uh, they they can hear everything that you had to say on their behalf. Uh, I think you did a really good job here tonight, and I I want to thank you for everything everything that you're doing there on behalf of your membership. Uh, is is there anything else that you need from the listeners and from us? I mean, you're happy. You're welcome to come on the show anytime uh, and update us uh, as you need need to do. Um, you got a lot of people listening to you. <laughs> you got a lot of people listening. So tell them what you want them to do. <laughs> well, you know, I, you know. Not that I want to beg or anything, but like I said, donations are always welcome. But the biggest thing is get the message out there to, you know, the representatives or even other locals. Or if there's other locals listening right now, don't be afraid to try, you know, find me on Facebook. You know, it's Todd Treeder, T-R-E-D-E-R-V-P, and and look me up and uh, friend me. And, and, you know, if you want, send me a message or something and, and learn a little more about what's going on so that, these other locals may be better prepared. I mean, you know, we're, we're like the guinea pig right now. And uh, there's only yeah. one way that the unions are going to come out better for this, for what we're doing is, is if we get the message to all these smaller locals so they can take care of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and jump on our Facebook page uh, so you can help. It'll help you follow as we, you know, fight through this. And uh, just let us know that you're still there kind of fighting with us. Right. Yeah, well, you got a lot of support, believe me. Uh, And I want to address the issue of begging. I'm going to tell you something. This isn't begging. This is not begging. In the agenda, proved agenda, in the UAW Constitution, there is a line that says good and welfare. Okay? Good and welfare means our brothers and sisters that are in distress in a lockout situation. So all of you local union folks out there that are listening – Carry this back to your local union and mess and tell them under good and welfare, local union nine and local union 1508 in Green Island, New York, are both locked out of their job. And they can't go to work, and they need your financial assistance. You can find their addresses easily on uaw.org. It's on there. I will be posting them on our page again so that everybody has an opportunity. We'll, we'll pin them at the top. Uh, so that everybody can see real easy where to send the check. Okay, so having said that, uh, thanks, fellas, for coming on. And if you have anything else, uh, are you good? I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good here, too. Thank you for uh, your time, okay. and thanks to all your listeners yeah. for uh, Thank- thinking of us. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, you bet. Thanks a lot, fellas. And keep up the good work. Uh, uh, Todd, I want to let the listeners know that you and I communicated on uh, December 26th. You said you'd be on the show at 10 after 7 tonight. We didn't talk in between time, and you were here at 10 after 7 tonight like you, were, like you <laughs> promised. So I'm going to tell the listeners, these guys are stand-up guys. They, they do exactly what they say virtually to the second, <laughs> okay, without having to be prompted or anything like that. So they're good guys. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch base with you the next couple days, Todd, because I – I know there's something else you need, and I think I can help you w- with that because uh, you mentioned it in our phone call. But uh, 
probably uh, something that uh, we we should discuss uh, before we go any further with that. But uh, having said that, okay. uh, uh, yeah, uh, I'll get a hold of you just so you know. Uh, thanks for coming okay. on the show. Uh, we'll let you guys go back to your uh, listening mode here, and uh, we'll get on. We got a couple other things to do here, and we do have another guest that's going to sort of update us on his appeal. That's uh, rather important too. So, thanks again. I'll put you guys in listen mode. How's that? All right. Thank, thank you. you. Have a good night. All right. Good night. Okay, fellas, what do you think, there, David and Jeff? Oh, I think they're doing a good job. Yeah, very good job. Yeah, yeah. Stand-up guys, huh? One thing I would like to point out, um, Pence was their governor down there in Indiana. So Mm -hmm. um, President-elect Trump is very aware of these locked-out workers. Um, he's been very vocal um, to Ford Motor Company and General Motors. And he said absolutely nothing that I've heard in regards to the locked-out workers at Honeywell. Um, apparently, it's okay to um, beat on General Motors and Ford. Um, not that I'm opposed to keeping work in the United States, but... Um, Seems to be okay with Mr. Trump to uh, be silent at this time in regards to the Honeywell lockout workers. These are military mm-hmm. contracts that they derive a deal of money from. And, um, yeah, large large portion of their money is coming right out of the government. That's for sure. Jeff, you got anything to add to that? I agree whatsoever. Um, you know, I'd ask our other members to continue to support Local 9. And the other one, 12, available in New York. Um, send money if you can. These people are fighting the fight. And we want to see them win, not lose. They've already lost enough. That's all I got with. Okay, thanks, thanks, Jeff. Um, well, we're running a little long, and we do have another special guest. Uh, this is on a completely different issue, uh, and it's also very, very important. We're going to bring him on later in the show during some of these reports, or later in my report, actually. But I think uh, uh, it's so important to hear from the next special guest we have on the show tonight that we'll just bring him on now. Uh, and he's a you know, long-time friend of the show. He's been on a number of times. Uh, ladies, brothers and sisters and ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to our show Art Peterson. Welcome, Art. Thank you for being on the show tonight. Thanks, Leroy, and hello, Jeff and David. Thanks well, for Art. keeping up your, your, your radio show. Thank you, Art. Yeah. Uh, you, you uh, As you know, and the listeners are about to find out. You have an updated status on the uh, uh, appeal that's gone clear to the public review board on the internal procedure uh, in, within the UAW. And, of course, you have to exhaust all, all internal procedures before you can take it uh, beyond the UAW into the court structure. 
uh, legal structure, if you will. Uh, so if you want to start by giving us a little update uh, uh, as the latest status from the PRB to you and uh, what you intend to do and how, uh, the reasons that you intend to do that, because you and I talked about it, but listeners need to know now. So uh, go ahead, well, Thanks, Leroy. Again, um, the Public Review Board I, I, on December 19th issued their decision on, in in my case, and the, the, their their decision is part of a 17-page document, but it ended up by with a short short line saying the decision of the International Executive Board is affirmed. Um, it's it's interesting because during the discussion in this document, they they're they're stating that there's no set of rules governing ratification votes and no one second and no constitutional mechanism for protesting the local union's method of presenting a contract for ratification. I, I gotta tell you I don't know about the rest of you but myself I I, I think it's they're, they're they're totally off base for for four for professors to come up with that kind of conclusion um, when it when it states in in the ethical practices codes that a UAW member has a right to to appeal any decision or or, or complaint concerning the administration of the union, um, and yet the PRB says there's no set of rules governing ratification votes. And no constitutional mechanism for protesting the local union's method of presenting a contract. Um, it, it goes on to say a number of other things that, that are just really kind of. <laughs> um, I, I I I hesitate to call them ignorant, but there's there's certainly some 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 information in this this. The, their discussion of my appeal that that's just way off base, Leroy. Well, one of the things that you know, I mean, I, I understand that. Are they they really sort of ignored a lot of the stuff that you said, and and presented with uh, uh, other uh, corroborating witnesses that saw the same thing that you saw, and it seemed to be just uh, dismissed out of hand with one little sentence. The things that may have happened in the plant, you know, during the, during the vote. Pardon me. Uh, and so, uh, it's it's hard to take them seriously when they're not taking you seriously. These are people that have a you know resume two and three pages long, law professors and heads of law departments around the nation, and they're the kind of people that would be. Uh, considered to be judges later by some administration because this is this looks good on the resume. They were, you know, a member of the public review board for the August UAW, this high authority inside of the uh, uh, appeal process, and this is how they're acting uh, there with regard to your appeal. And how can they dismiss so many things when you had absolute corroborating evidence? Notwithstanding 
at the idea that they don't have any procedure. This is the first public review board. Correct me if I'm wrong, Art. This is isn't this the first public review review board since 19 early 70s? Like 72 was the first one they started uh, admonishing the uh, UAW administration for not having a uh, proper procedure to to uh, go through this within the UAW, and this is the first PRB that didn't do that? Is that not right? That's correct. You know, it, I part of my appeal consisted of, of stating that going back to 1974 and no less than four mm-hmm. times since, the Public Review Board has suggested and advised the International UAW to clarify their their ratification language, their contract ratification language in the Constitution. And, and mind you, Leroy, the only the only reason I can think of in my mind for them not to follow that is because if they were to clarify it, they wouldn't be able to manipulate it. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, they they you'd like to think that they would have followed the, the past practices of the UAW with regard to or the, the Public Review Board with regard to the UAW's uh, uh, lack of clarity in the ratification process. Uh, I think it just goes to show the lack of their integrity in their decision uh, with. With regard to what they they just you know what they did in your uh, appeal, I just I just find it uh, you know astonishing that they would even try and and, and do that uh, without admonishing the UAW for the, not having a proper procedure, almost saying it's okay not to have a proper procedure, uh, you know and you know you want to go through a couple of the the instances so that the listeners know that you're not just out there, some of these people haven't heard all of all of the the whole the whole story, Art. But go through a couple of instances where, uh, you know, if you can explain them briefly on what you actually appealed. Uh, you know, the the thing about being 500 votes off might exactly might be interesting to some of the listeners. For example. Well, for for example, Leroy, the Dearborn truck plant. The, the the membership the production membership as they voted there they were each given two ballots one was a, a local ballot and one was a a national ballot when the so so that they were given two ballots when the count was totaled up the local ballot total yes and no votes compared to the national vote total, yes and no votes, was exactly 500 votes difference. Now, mind you, they're given both ballots at the same time. The the number that should have come out should have been close to identical, if not identical. Um, Their claim was that testimony was given that, that there was a whole bunch of ballots seen discarded that, that that voters only voted with with uh only voted on the national agreement so that 
500 out of the out of the the total that voted just discarded their local ballot. Interestingly enough, the the local the local agreement was voted down by a total of by by a two to one margin because of this additional 500 ballots that 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 the the international actually goes goes on record as stating it's undisputed that there are 500 ballots um, that that are unaccounted for um, on the national ballot national agreement it was voted uh, uh, it was accepted by a two to one margin by some some odd again um, my appeal basically states that, that there's there's certainly some fraud going on there but anyways yeah so let so, me ask you one little pertinent question art uh you know if you were to make up a, a you know some fraud fraudulent uh votes and stick them in the uh in the ballot box uh how many <laughs> how many uh, sheets of paper are in one ream of paper. Well, Leroy, I, I believe we've we've talked about that. It, that it's exactly 500. Well, I'll be darned. That that vote count was exactly 500 different. Son of a yeah. gun. Son <laughs> of a gun. <laughs> and, and, and all of these learned people couldn't. All of these learned, educated, august people with resumes four and five pages long couldn't come to that same decision. What do you think about that, nope. Art? Do you think we got a broken system? Gosh, I, I think so. You know, interestingly enough, Leroy, and, and you know, all through this process, I was I was looking forward to to putting my case in front of the public review board, thinking I had a a, a good chance of of getting an impartial ruling on it. But uh, I I I'm the the Solidarity magazine, UAW publication, Solidarity magazine ran a ran a uh, article on the Public Review Board this past summer, and it, what it basically says is the board heard 64 appeals in the last four years, and in no instance has the union been found to have committed a serious ethical lapse," said Bellis, a professor of legal studies at the Wharton School of University of Pennsylvania. It, I'm sure they're going to try to say that this is number 65 or 66, in, in which no ethical lapses. But I got to question that whole count. So. Yeah, I got you. So they're they're never wrong. I guess is the issue there, huh? Never, they've never made a mistake in any way or fashion. That's interesting. Uh, well, did you want to tell well, our listeners about the? Uh, the idea that you saw personally witnessed somebody come and vote and then leave and then the guy that is holding the, the little whatever he was holding asked who that was after he voted or do you want to talk part of, about that? Part of my appeal goes through the through the uh, the eyewitness account of, of a gentleman who 
uh, of Walder at uh, in the Dearborn truck plant. Um, he came. I, I was actually standing there by one of the bargaining reps who was hovering over the the ballots and then participating in a bargaining rep that was participating in the ratification process. But uh, I watched this gentleman come up and get his ballots. He filled them out, put them in the bu- put them in the the bucket that uh, he the, the respective buckets, local and local and national, and walked away. And as he was walking away, the gentleman who handed him the ballots gave a little nudge to the person standing next to him and, and asked him what his last name was. Now, mind you, if, if, if he had checked his ID and, and checked off his name off the membership list the way he's supposed to, obviously he'd have known what his last name was. Um, later on, I, I did have the opportunity to, to, to check with that welder, and he, he told me that he knows the gentleman. They, they played softball together. Well, I, apparently he doesn't know his teammates too well. There was another, <laughs> there was, there was another situation where, where when I presented my appeal to the, to the general counsel in March, the, uh, president of my unit, the skilled trades unit, maintenance and construction unit, made a a big statement in regard to quadrupling the number of ballots that were collected in in this vote because they were able to use buckets to to go around from facility to facility to to collect buckets, collect ballots in these buckets. His Mm -hmm. statement was that by using buckets, they were able to quadruple the number that they got the last time they held a vote. The last time they had 130 ballots out of almost a thousand members. Excuse me, over over a thousand members. This time they got almost 600 ballots. Interestingly enough, the president of the the, the union or president of the unit stated almost 600 ballots, but the number that was reported on the national tally was 897 ballots. So there's another 300 ballots that are certainly suspect. Right. So what they're saying is because they collected ballots in by by bucket rather than by a, a voting at a, a voting poll that they they got they were able to get more more uh, votes that way. So yeah, they were able. To, they were able, They were able to allow more people to vote. And and mind you, I don't have such a big problem with them maximizing participation as as Article 19 in the Constitution suggests. But they could still have and maintain proper safeguards. Right. Even right. with maximizing participation. That's and, and that's that my my appeal is based on the ethical practices codes, democratic practices, and and that's what it's been based on all the way through. My feeling is that the, the ethical practices codes and, and the language is quite clear. It, the ethical practices codes. 
state that each local union shall maintain adequate safeguards so that all of its operations shall be conducted in a democratic and fair manner. No, no corruption, discrimination, or anti-democratic procedure shall ever be permitted under any circumstances. If that doesn't, if that doesn't lay out rules for a ratification vote, doesn't 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 um, if if that doesn't cover what I'm what I'm talking about here. I, I just I don't know how they can say there's no constitutional mechanism for protesting the local union's method of presenting a contract. Well, you're anyway, not you're not concerned you're not so concerned about how they presented the contract. Although the the one uh, I mean, they presented it well, what you did uh, you know object to is them coming down trying to intimidate you. I mean that's against the National Labor Relations Act. Uh, you know, you're, you have protected concerted activity, and one of the things they're not allowed to do is threaten and intimidate you in order to try and get you to do something, which happened when the vice president of the Ford Department came there at your local uh, special meeting and did so. So this is, uh, you know, that's one of the things I believe you protested. The, but the uh, uh, those are some nice examples of what your uh, appeal was about so that everybody sorts, sort of understands uh, again, it's been turned down by the Public Review Board. What are your intentions now, Art? Well, I have one last option. The rules of the Public Review Board allow me to request reconsideration when when there's something, when there's part of the official record, which is 240 pages long, by the way. When 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 the PRB's discussion doesn't mention or doesn't point uh doesn't take into consideration anything that's in that official record. I have the thirty days to request reconsideration and that's that'll be my next step. But after that uh you know again I'm I'm doing that in the hopes that maybe just maybe I'll see something different out of the public review board but uh we'll see. Okay, so you're at this point, because uh, you can't talk about, you know, beyond this point. So at this point, you're going to be uh, uh, appealing for reconsideration uh, yes. of the Public Review Board based on some of the stuff that we've talked about here this evening on your on your uh, 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 appeal there. So uh, probably some other things as well. But by and large, and this, this idea that they just ignored and dismissed your uh, your uh, testimony uh, and corroborated testimony. Some of it, I believe, was audio tape. Uh, it, if it wasn't, it was certainly alluded to. Uh, so, uh, and, the, and they could have easily asked for that to be, you know, perfected for them in order to make a full decision if they needed to. I mean, that's uh, certainly if if it was available, they could do that. So, uh, these are supposed to be some pretty learned people out there doing this and. Didn't seem to me they had a lot of common sense in their decision with you, so uh, so that's your next step. Is there anything else you want to say to listeners, Art? Anything you need from them, support, or anything like that? Well, whatever happens here, something's certainly got to change because again, this isn't the first time that the ratification votes have come into question, 
Um, I believe that from what I've seen and, and what I've dug up from from past cases, it, it is one of few, the one of few, if not the, the the only case where where I'm not appealing Article 19 or or, or anything else in the Constitution. I'm appealing the ethical practices. I'm I believe fraud was prevalent throughout this. You know, going into this this the into the local 600 vote the the UAW Ford agreement was being rejected by 52.5% to 47.5%. Um, they knew <laughs> they knew that local 600 needed to overwhelmingly pass this and and they they managed to get mm-hmm. those numbers yeah, by by any means necessary, huh? To say that. Yeah. Uh, so, so that you know, Art, uh, uh, we've been uh, putting out planks uh, pretty much every show lately. Uh, our platform planks for the team working for a living caucus. Uh, tonight's is going to be abated because we're going long. We'll bring that out at our next show. By the way, uh, so that everybody understands, the fifth plank will be at our next show. Uh, but it's been fully discussed on the manner of ratification votes and on the uh, the problem of apparent ethics in the appeal system, that those uh, both be part of our, uh, our planks as we go through uh, the uh, platform building process. Uh, so you can expect to see those as planks. Uh, not not just yet, because we're putting this together as time goes by, but you can expect those to see, to see those as planks, and they've been approved uh, in uh, not in final form, but by the, uh, the team that exists now. They have approved both of those, so you can ex- expect to see those uh, as we refine those and actually reduce those to writing for you. Uh, so this is a very serious thing. Uh, that affects the members, and when you have this situation going on where an entire uh, national agreement based on one local union and the alleged uh, fraud in that local union uh, take place and possibly threaten an intimidation and violation of the National Labor Labor Relations Act take place, then there is serious problem in our union. Uh, so uh, we're going to address that in our platform planks. And when we ascend to leadership, when we ascend to leadership, we are going to address that and fix it, Art. Uh, and uh, you can rest assured that that's our intention uh, as we go forward with with all of this. So thank you, Art. Do uh, you have anything else? No, thanks Thanks much for your time, Leroy and, and, and Jeff and David. Leroy. We appreciate all your yeah, efforts uh, as well. Da- da- Art, da- David's got something for you before you go, Art. David, go ahead. Right. Yeah, hey, Art. Um, I was uh, privileged to read the answer um, that you received from the PRB. And when I read that, um, well, I did some research, too. Um, these PRB members... Um, Board, there's four of them board members. Not one of them is licensed to practice law in the state of Michigan, and not one of them signed your document. 
that's uh, I'm glad you brought that up, David, and certainly it's an observation, an observation that I made as well that their their names are on this document, but none of them signed their names to it or put any signature to it. It's, it's sort of like the the the, the missing signatures on um, on the membership list during the vote. The, they've got no proof that anyone from local 600 voted and quite honestly i i'm not seeing any any signatures from the public review board so did they actually make this decision you know right right that's that's a good question because there are clearly no signatures on board uh, uh jeff do you have anything for art before he uh, takes off here. Uh, Art, just remember those names, and then we get in place. Like Art, uh, like Leroy said, we're going to address it. Take time. Right. No room yeah. for so, I mean, uh, yeah. thank, thank you for confirming that, Jeff, because I, I, you know, I, I say these things, and it's something that we've already discussed and approved, but, uh, you know, it's nice that he hears it from the other members, too. So. Thanks much to y'all. Anything else, Jeff? No. Okay. Uh, th- thanks, Art, and uh, we'll put you back in listen mode here, and uh, welcome to listen to the rest of the show. Thank you for coming on and updating the listeners. We really appreciate it, and they do as well. Much Good night, Art. Good night. Good night, Art. Okay. Um, David and Jeff have both worked hard on a report, and we're just going to go long tonight. That's just the way it's going to be. I know everybody likes us to keep it to an hour. There's so much going on uh, in in the labor world uh, that we're just going to go long tonight. So just understand that. Uh, you know, Jeff's been working hard on uh, getting his report together. David has as well. Uh, we just kind of covered first half of my report with art that was going to be part of mine uh there's more but uh well we're good we're just going to have jeff and it's just it's just not right uh to have this show and not and they've done all this work for you the listeners uh for them not to get a chance to put their uh report out there for you to listen and it's very important stuff so uh jeff you want to go first yeah over the last year or so, we've been hearing a lot of uh, discussion about certain unions members losing their health care and pensions. Well, this time we're going to talk about coal miners. Coal miners um, union was responsible for the miners' health care. And during the 2007-2009 uh, recession, the Coal Miners Union lost lost all the funds, so it was then taken over by the government, the pensions for and the United All Workers, Mine Workers. CNN recently did a story um, with some of the mine workers, and they found out three things in common. One is that they all were affected by black lung, either directly or indirectly. Indirectly, two, they all voted for Trump. And the third one, which is really huge, this is what's going on with them. They are now 
fearing that if it's going to happen, Trump follows through and promises to appeal the Affordable Health Care Act, they are going to lose not only their pensions, but their health care. Um, these, I'm from coal country. I lived there a few years, and this black lung thing is really something a lot of people don't know of. It gets into your lungs, and you're basically on your deathbed once you get this. Um, they're trying to keep uh, them in the loop with the Obamacare, but with the Republicans attacking the uh, Obamacare, these coal miners are very, very worried now that they may lose what they do have as far as health care. And this is a sad thing. Um, my heart goes out to all those uh, miners affected by this. It's just a tragedy. Um, they weren't responsible for what happened to them. And they need, they need better assurances from the government that they will not lose their health care. So that, saying that, we hope that the Republicans do not uh, repeal the Obamacare of our union brothers and sisters who are retired. So I'm kind of got shortly, right? So we'll get David going on his report now. Okay. David, do you have any questions for Jeff? No. Thank you, Jeff, for your report. I know you worked hard on that, and we did go long, so it's kind of nice that you, you know, kept a little little short, but uh, it's some very important stuff affecting, you know, working men and women, uh, and, and uh, it needs to get reported. Uh, uh, by the way, so that the listeners know, uh, Art Peterson just texted me and gave us permission to post his uh, public review board answer in, of denial on our page working for a living so you may uh, see it feel free to join the page uh, in order to get that because I think he's just going to make it available there uh, and not, I'm, I don't know for sure but he's given us permission but uh, feel free to join the page if you're listening and you'll be able to see that uh, post on the on the page so Thank you, Art. We really appreciate that. David, you want to go with your report? Yes. Um, this week I'd like to talk about um, steel workers or iron workers. Um, they have just received news that uh, they may be having uh, their pensions cut by 50% by the end of this month. This pension plan um, is a multi-employer pension plan and falls under the uh, Multi-Employer Pension Protection Act um, signed into law by President Obama in 2014. Um, this is a Cleveland-based fund with about 2,000 members. Um, the uh, plan administrators were approved by the Treasury Department on December 16th. Um, to uh, um, adjust their pensions. Um, it's the first time the agency has given the green light for a private pension plan to cut benefits for its members. So these are the very first folks. Now, what will happen next, um, the plan participants will have an opportunity to vote. 
and their vote can override the Treasury Department. Um, what happens after if they do override? Um, do they go back to the drawing board um, to try to um, shore up this uh, pension plan? Um, I'm not sure how that works in the pension uh, um, in that uh, um, act that uh, was signed by Obama in 14, but uh, they do have the right to um, to vote and override it. Um, earlier in the year, um, retired truckers in the Central States Pension Plan um, by the way, one of the largest pension plans in the country. Um, they were um, very, they were rejected by the Treasury Department. Um, they found that the projections for future investment growth were unrealistic, or when the cuts would not be sufficient enough to help the pension plans avoid insolvency. Um, I'm under. Yeah, I'm understanding that uh, this Cleveland-based fund um, had applied before and then decided to adjust um, their uh, request of the, the Treasury, quite possibly because they see what was going on with um, the um, trucker's pension, um, basically where they were Teamsters. Um, in this law, um, that Obama signed, um, you have uh, some exclusions here. Now, remember, everybody in the pension plan is a participant in the plan. And here's a problem that I have, um, and I would like to relate it to the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution that <clears throat> no, no class can be um, now, when I say that uh, you can't do, you can't uh, have a class within you a class. You can't create a second class within a class. Or, or, right. or, right. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. When I read this language, um, I'll read a little bit of it here to you. A plan participant or beneficiary's monthly benefit cannot be reduced below 110% of the PBGC guarantee. Um, participants, beneficiaries ages 75 and older at the date of suspension have limitations. Okay, there's one party. Participants and beneficiaries 80 years and older at the date of suspension are exempt from benefit suspensions, another class within the plan. Disability pensions are also exempt from the benefit suspensions. Um, now, another problematic issue, I told you that they will have the opportunity to vote. Um, anyone who doesn't vote, considered a yes vote. So you have um, parties that are exempt by disability. You have parties who are exempt by age and then you have parties who um, are subject to limitations at the expense of those who are under the age of 75. So those are some interesting points um, in regards to um, 
this Pension Protection, Multi-Employer Protection Act, um, it seems to, in my opinion, create classes within a class. And those under 60 or under 75 years old could be um, disadvantaged by how this um, Reform Act is written. Mm-hmm. That's about all I have on that, Leroy, to your opinion. Okay. Uh, nice job. Uh, thank you for doing that, David. Uh, Jeff, do you have any questions or comments about uh, David's stuff, report? No, it's just continuing the attacks on the working class. It's very disappointing. Right. We need to change that. Wait till they figure out, figure out that this directly affects the velocity of money. We'll talk about that more again soon. Uh, but it directly affects the velocity of money, which is the primary measure of, of the health of a of an economy. And we've seen it many times uh, in our history, and in other of our history, and in other countries' uh, his, history. Thank you, Art, for doing that. He just posted it to the page. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, working for a living page, he posted his uh, appeal uh, answer from the Public Review Board. We appreciate that, Art. Uh, so, um, uh, this velocity of money. Anytime you you don't take care of your working class and your middle class, that velocity of money goes down because you have fewer and fewer dollars in the hands of the masses, and you've concentrated the wealth in the hands of a very few. And we've seen that happen any number of times in the history of our country and other countries. And what that results in is a stock market failure, uh, catastrophic failure, if you will, uh, and that you have some sort of big drop. And then you have a, uh, a serious re- recession, depression that follows it like 29. That was very prevalent in 29 uh, that this assist, uh, situation occurred. And for those of you that may not know, uh, leading into 1929, before the advent of Glass-Spiegel that was repealed under the Clinton administration um, that kept banks and brokerage houses divided. They were not divided up until the late 30s when the Glass-Spiegel was actually implemented into law. And they thought that was one of the big problems that caused the 29 crash, but that's been repealed here because we can't remember our history uh, by some of these people, so-called friends of ours in high places. Uh, But when we have that, we oftentimes see that cycle of depression later. And that happened, again, for those of you that may not know, several times uh, before 1929, they they would uh, routinely have these economic cycles of uh, depression and good times, depression and good times, and you'd see the markets fluctuate accordingly, even though the, it's like 1908 was a buttonwood agreement that established the, the uh, uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average, but they, they had done that long before that. They conducted business at the buttonwood tree in New York uh, long before there, before they actually had an agreement with uh, you know, buy and sell stock there. So, uh, But having said that, uh, when when you have these major cycles, and we're about to see one, I think, uh, this is not a good thing. 
when you have concentration of wealth and not not a lot of money uh, in the hands of the masses so that you have a high and broad velocity of money. You know, lots of it moving rear, concentrated, moving slow, or not moving at all. Uh, so it's uh, something that's going to come to roost before too long. Uh, and I wish we had uh, seen the error of the ways of the 1929s, but we've uh, opened those floodgates yet again and had stimulus and all the rest of that. Uh, the idea that concentration of wealth is good is somebody's pipe dream. It's not good. We need more hands in the working men and women, and these attacks on labor and the working class to the benefit of the very select few are going to hurt this country, and they will they will rue the day, those billionaires will rue the day that they didn't consider the working class as uh, worthy of decent wages. Decent wages. I uh, I want to, uh, that's about all I'll say about Jeff's report. I just, I know he talked about the, or, Dave, or Jeff's comment about David's report. Uh, it's just deplorable. Uh, uh, so that everybody knows, uh, we here at Working for a Living care about your work-life balance. Uh, and to that end, next week is a holiday, and we support all the members uh, in every holiday uh, that's out there that's a legitimate uh, UAW holiday. Uh, so uh, by and large, uh, for, with most of the agreements, uh, so next week's show will be abated, uh, and we'll be back the following week. I believe that's the uh, uh, 22nd, uh, Sunday the 22nd, if I got it right. Um, so we'll be back then. Uh, ha- enjoy your holiday next week. Um, I think that's about all that we've covered. We had to cover here this evening on the on the show. Thanks to everybody in the switchboard. I don't know that we've ever had this many in the switchboard before. There's Thanks to each and every one of you for coming on and listening to this extended show. We really appreciate it. Gosh, I don't know. There's there's almost 40 people here in the in the switchboard, and we don't even advertise our phone number. So I want to thank everybody there for coming on and, and, and hanging with us. And it was a little, <laughs> for a minute there, it was a little uh, difficult just pulling out these, these phone numbers and make sure I get the right person on the show. Uh, so uh, we got it. We got it all handled. It wasn't all that difficult, I and mean, we didn't have any faux pas with somebody that was an uh, uh, unwitting uh, guest. <laughs> so thanks to everybody. We we did a nice job uh, keeping everybody straight here tonight. And thanks for everybody coming on. Um, I'm not going to go forward with any more on my report. We've kind of covered covered everything there with Art. There is a, a pension appeal that was denied. Just so you know, we were going to talk about that at length, but. This is now an hour and 39 minutes, and uh, we'll just we'll just call that good. That's enough for tonight for most everybody to absorb. Lots of stuff going on, uh, a lot of attacks on working men and women. Uh, in general, uh, Jeff, do you have anything else to say? Uh, no, just tell people to stay warm. It's going to get cold here uh, this week yeah. uh, okay. again. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Enjoy the holiday weekend, and see you in two weeks. Okay. 
Yep, the work-life balance is important, and we certainly respect that and will respect it as leaders, uh, your leaders. Uh, David, do you have anything to add at all in general? No, not not really, um, other than uh, I'm going to take the opportunity to have a short vacation myself. (laughs) (laughs) I, I was telling somebody earlier, you know, I've been working seven days a week <laughs> since the beginning of last year. I don't know that I've had too many real days off. Between the holidays, I thought we were going to have a lot of stuff, you know, just time to just sit down and take care of business. But as you heard, I mean, I was on the phone the day after Christmas to actually in PM, the Christmas day, uh, uh, with uh, Todd Trader down there trying to help him uh, and his members and, and uh we uh, was happy to do it. I don't want to begrudge him, but it is, it is, uh, you know, the holiday season was not the the rest that I thought it was going to be. I'll tell you that. Uh, so I've been busy around here, uh, and and it's good for our team, and uh, we're happy to do it. Uh, so we, uh, just so everybody knows, uh, team working for a living does this on behalf of you to membership in a humble way. And everybody on this team has committed fully to this team. Would you agree, Jeff? Yes, definitely. 100%. 100%. Yep. David? 100%. Would you agree? Yes. yes. We're, we're, we're in this team, and our team is growing, and I'm telling you, we got some good people. You're not hearing them, but we got some good people that are experienced and knowledgeable, and they're not—they're not little leaguers. They're full-blown professionals. They—they—they they, they are on the pro team, and we're bringing them in every now and then. Another one joins, and we're happy to have them. And this team is tough. I'm telling you, they are top negotiators. They're top-notch people listening to the membership. And they care about the membership, and they care in their political leanings. They, they're uh, a working class, working man's progressive political leanings as well, without saying any party. We're just working class progressives for working men and women. And as you go by and listen to this show, you'll find those that help and those that hurt us. And we're leaning to those that help us. So, having said all of that, um, we hope everybody has a happy and prosperous New Year. Uh, I'm, like David, going to take a few days off here. I'm just going to get lost and turn my cell phone off. And and I've got some friends up north. I'm going to go visit some people I haven't seen in a couple years and uh, just take a little time myself. So, with that said, again, no show next week. We'll be back in two weeks. Uh, I'll say good night, David. Good night, Jeff. Good night, good night, night, Jeff. Thanks. Good night, fellas. Good night, listeners. Bye bye.